Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Parenthood Podcast. We pride ourselves on having all sorts of conversations on this podcast, conversations that are honest and sometimes surprising, but always helpful. It's often the things that we find hardest to talk about that are the things we need to talk about the most. And this is definitely too true of today's topic. The narrative of sex changes over the course of our lives. We recorded a podcast on how to talk about sex to your children, which generated a huge amount of listens and was something that got the nation debating. I ended up writing a piece with Mel on Sunday and going on numerous TV and radio shows to talk about why I believed in talking to your children honestly about sex right from the very beginning. As children mature, sex is exploratory. And then when we want to have children, it often becomes more purposeful. But it's once the product of that sex has been born that it probably changes the most. And that's because of a variety of reasons. So here to talk about it today, I've got Kate Moyle, a psychosexual and relationship therapist whose job it is to talk to people about their sex lives and help them with any problems they might be having. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a re- really exciting, actually, that we're having this conversation. And I think, you know, certainly from the conversations I've had, having been so honest on this podcast, I think it's one of the things that people do need to talk about the most. Definitely. And I think the thing is, it's one of the most difficult conversations for people to have. So it's really important that everyone knows they're not alone. Because yeah. the sense is that they are the only people struggling with these problems, the only couple having these difficulties or the only person that feels that way and it's just not the case. Pretty much everyone's in the same boat. Do you think British are worse at talking about it, worse than the other nationalities? Yeah, and I think it's just such a taboo subject, you know, across the board, but especially in this country. And we have this real kind of split between, you know, even perfume adverts kind of being quite sexual and they're being you know, it all being about sex and being sexy and looking like everyone is having sex and people talking about great sex all the time, but it also being this very hidden part of our lives that people then, if they're having a problem with sex, don't know what to do with. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned, it changes really from from when you get pregnant, doesn't it? I Mm. mean, some people become very horny when they're pregnant. And for some people, it's the opposite, isn't it? I mean, some people obviously are told they can't have sex for specific medical reasons. I mean, firstly, it's it's safe to have sex while you're pregnant. Yeah, it is safe to have sex when you're pregnant. And I think um, one of the important things to realize is there is always people have this this fear, which um, seems to come up in movies and TV shows and things a lot as well, is you know, is it going to hurt the baby? Are we going to touch the baby? And anatomically, no. 
Um, obviously there are times, as you say, where there might be medical conditions where you're advised not to have sex, but we understand that the cervix that kind of protects the baby and, you know, is at the neck of the womb and the end of the vaginal canal is, is there to protect the baby. That's its job. And you're not going to be going through that unless something is going quite wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, cause obviously your cervix is kept tightly shut for the duration Until of your you pregnancy. Until you go into labor. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about three to four centimeters long. So it's a decent sort of barrier to protect yeah. your baby. <laughs> and only once you start dilating, does that cervix open? And that's the only time it dilates. It doesn't sort of dilate on a daily basis. No, so. it's not kind of doing it for fun. Yeah. The, the thing that people might feel, for example, is pressure or if um, they are having sex in a particular position which might kind of feel a bit more angled I suppose but it's it's important to realize that it is unless you've been given specific instructions not to it is safe to have sex and it's worth doing it because there is going to be a period of time after your baby's born when you're not going to be having sex so you might as well if you're enjoying it absolutely and I think the thing is a lot of the time people actually just feel uncomfortable not because of the act of sex being uncomfortable when they're heavily pregnant because of almost the logistics mm-hmm. of it um, because there is a baby-sized bump in the way. And obviously we mentioned that, and, and people do talk about this a lot, you know, people wanting, women wanting lots of sex while they're pregnant, but mm. there are obviously women that don't want much sex when they're pregnant. Yeah, and there's no predicting who is going to be one of those women or not one of those women. And it's all about hormones and hormones are different levels, different fluctuations for different people. Emotionally, pregnancy is a tricky time for some people lots of people might have had sickness there's so much going on exhaustion backache yeah aches pains headaches tiredness exactly so there is no predicting who is going to be one of those people and it's important to find out what's right for you yeah and then obviously your baby's born and for most women that is vaginally so the sort of (laughs) the big organ uh, yeah. is an organ isn't it that you use for that makes sex enjoyable has um has been you know stretched yes. quite a lot um and and women do feel quite sore after mm. having a uh, given birth um where just to to you know sex changes for women after they've given birth it's not just true for those who've had vaginal deliveries it's it's true for women who've had c-sections too that's right yeah. that's right isn't it and also, you know, women who have had C-sections tend to have quite painful recoveries a lot of the time. You know, their scar is quite low down in the abdomen that it's still uncomfortable. And, you know, there's all the hormones, there's breastfeeding, which, um, you know, can cause vaginal dryness, which can make sex quite sore. So I think there is, you know, the six-week rule still applies yeah. whatever birth you've had. So just to clarify, generally you don't have sex for six weeks. Yeah. And, and it's, that's It's partly... medically recommended that yeah. you don't try and have sex for six weeks. Obviously, people choose to have sex in that six weeks window, six week window, but that is their choice to do so. It's recommended you don't until you've had your six week checkup at the GP. And and also you're bleeding for that first six weeks. Mm. So, you know, it's it kind of makes it kind of quite difficult, even if you yeah. were really keen. Yeah, of so course. That's quite a significant bleed. Um, but then generally what happens, women go to their GPs for a six week check um, and then they're sort of given the all clear. Yeah, and the one thing that they will guarantee to ask you at your six-week checkup is if you thought about contraception, because despite the the myths that exist about not being able to get pregnant when you're breastfeeding, it is possible. Um, so that is one of the things that they will be flagging up and definitely one of the things that you need to think about before having sex. Yeah, um, and um, but 
you know, one of the things I think that people get surprised about is that you go for your GP check at six weeks and they ask often about your mood and whether or not you're still breastfeeding and then mm-hmm. contraception. But no one actually has a look at your vagina. No. And then you sort of feel that you've been signed off and you think, but how do they know? And yeah. and I think women can feel a bit vulnerable around that. Absolutely. And, you know, because of the location of it, it's not like you can very easily have a look and see if you think that things are, you know, okay or what they look like. Or And, you know, lots of women might for example use a mirror to have a look but it's not like it's you know on our hand and we can just kind of hold up to our face and say oh that doesn't you know look like it used to or Or show our friends exactly (laughs) (laughs) or ask for someone else's opinion um so I think there is a lot of anxiety in that because you're being signed off but you might not feel that things are normal or okay and so you're questioning that and I think a lot of people are also really embarrassed in that six-week appointment to bring sex up and that really shouldn't be the case. And ask someone to look at their vagina. Yeah. I think, you know, probably the reason they don't address it is that vaginas do heal very, very well. Mm. It's a part of the body which is is very vascular. It's phenomenal, yeah. Um, And so so most women do heal incredibly well. Um, But you can always ask your doctor to have a look if you're worried, can't you? Absolutely. And if you are worried, you should, because just the emotional reassurance of having someone have a look and you can always go for a gynecology checkup or go and see a specialist um I actually recommend that most people I know who've just had a baby to go for a pelvic floor MOT um we were talking earlier about Claire Pacey who is an amazing pelvic physiotherapist women's um specialist and it's just actually for someone who knows what they're doing and what they're looking for to tell you whether they think that there's any reason for concern and sex might be uncomfortable once you start having sex again but it certainly shouldn't be painful and if sex is painful then that's something that you should be checking out it shouldn't be something that you grit your teeth and kind of carry on with because you're more likely just to build up negative associations between sex and pain and it's not something that you're going to want to do again yeah and it's also not good for you I think you know I, I definitely see people who feel a bit guilty about asking people to look at their vagina. And yet, you know, I, I'm around midwives and doctors quite a lot. Mm. And they all sort of say to me, Marina, you open up your computer in the morning, you look at that. I ask women to open up their legs and I look at their <laughs> vaginas. Like for me, it's no different to you yeah. looking at your computer. So I think, you know, don't, if you're listening to this, don't feel ashamed about asking someone to take a look if it will make you feel better just to be reassured that everything is okay. Absolutely. And the thing is, um, you know, we see, so smear tests, for example, are something like 25 percent of women ignore their smear test letters won't go for smear tests and it's because it's to do with that particular body part if we had a problem or a discomfort or a pain or a question about any other part of our bodies we would be at the doctor straight away getting it checked out and this stigma around you know our vaginas our vulvas that part of our body is because of shame and embarrassment and we don't need it to be and it's our own you know, risking our own health for no reason apart from the fact that we might feel a bit awkward about asking. Mm. And doctors have to train, you know, in gynecology as much as any other part of the body. It doesn't really make a difference to them what they're looking at. Yeah, absolutely. And ultimately... Your vagina is probably more important than your elbow or your knee because, you know, it's used for so many different things. <laughs> yeah. And and emotionally, it's it's very connected. Mm. Um, and we can't see it. So it's not like if we have, you know, a problem with our arm and we can see that something clearly isn't okay. It, you know, if there is pain and discomfort, we can't just check it in the way that we would other body parts. Mm. And so it's more important to actually get someone else to do that for you. Yeah. 
So you get to the six week check. Hopefully mm -hmm. uh, you're reassured that it is okay to start having sex. Mm -hmm. But I think what is a very, very common thing is that women get to six weeks and think, oh, God, now I've got to have sex yeah. again. I think that's very, very common. I was talking to someone the other day and she said that she went with her husband to the to the sort of six week check. And he said, oh gosh, I can't believe... No, it was just after the baby was born and that the midwife had said, you know, no sex for six weeks. Mm. And he'd understood six months. And he was like, God, six months is a long time. And she was like, she didn't correct him. <laughs> she thought, actually, this is quite convenient. And I think that is quite symptomatic of, of women yeah. postnatally who think, God, I, I really don't want to do this now. Well, I think that also, you know, for all couples, that six weeks is gone before you've even, you know, had a chance to think about it. And suddenly it's another thing you've got to think about, another thing that you've kind of got to focus on. And also it's it feels like the start or maybe the first marker of getting back to normal when your life has been pretty much turned upside down overnight and so you're so focused on you know the baby keeping it healthy alive all the worries fears that go with being a new parent that it's you haven't really had a chance to kind of think about yourselves or yourself and it's it feels like quite a hurdle yeah absolutely and then you're exhausted too. I mean, mm. you know, you, by the time you get anywhere near your bed, you just want to flop into it and grab as much sleep as you possibly can before you're woken up before you... again for another feed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I think that also, and you know, this isn't just true of couples who have just had a baby, but this idea of we get ready for bed, you know, we kind of wind down, we brush our teeth, we put on our pajamas, we wash our faces, we get into bed. So we're kind of winding down and the idea of then getting into bed and having sex is a bit like kind of having to pick up your energy levels again. And if you don't feel like you have many at that point in time, it feels like a really, really big ask. Mm. Women are also very self-conscious about their bodies. I notice that a lot in the work that I do, you know, previously very confident, you know, uh, erudite women mm. suddenly sort of feel very vulnerable and, and self-conscious. You know, your body changes a lot in pregnancy. It generally goes back to what it was. Mm. But I think very often women have a different view um, of, of being naked and seeing people, uh, people seeing them naked, even, you know, their husband or their partner. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing is, is it's all very out of control. And in that six week window, very few people have the time or the energy to try and get their bodies back to where they were before. And so you're focusing on, again, so many other things you haven't put yourself first or. And actually, I think women feel very self-conscious about their bodies. And a lot of the time, their partners don't really mind and oh, love it. Yeah, exactly. And there's this kind of celebration of look what your body did. That's amazing. But again, it is a sense of, oh, my body's changed and I didn't choose for it to change in this way. You know, all of the amazing things it's done, now I'm kind of dealing with the stuff that's not so great or the stuff I don't feel so positive about. And a lot of it is about being out of control and we don't really like that feeling. And breasts, you know, you've talked before about sort mm. of changing, you know, perception of breasts. You yeah. know, before babies, breasts are sexual and yeah. um and then you know certainly while you're breastfeeding they become the vessels that feed your baby mm. and there's almost a bit of a uh conflict there definitely because you know when it comes to your baby you don't sort of want to think about sex and sexuality um uh, but then you know your breasts are sort of two they've got two very important jobs yeah and you know even things like so breastfeeding releases oxytocin 
So we know that that kind of bonding feeling, that closeness, lots of people also get that feeling and that kind of rush from having their breasts touched during sex, during foreplay. And so, you know, chemically, we're also primed to kind of have those feelings and that can feel good, but actually it can feel confusing to mix the two. So to mix kind of breastfeeding and, you know, having a breast touch during sex. or And so we were talking earlier about ways that women could, for example, make themselves feel more comfortable and it might be, you know, wearing a bra that they feel is nice for the first few times they've had sex or, you know, keeping a top on because there is a sense of they've changed function temporarily and that barrier is very difficult to know how to navigate. Yeah. But, you know, it's not the case for all women. Some women might be able to, to split the two. It's, it's individual. And I guess lingerie is kind of a, a way of sort of retaining a little bit more control mm. over something you don't have much control over, not being fully clothed, but also having a little bit of something to hide the parts of your body that you might just want not to be hanging out. Well, just for you to feel more comfortable, because the thing is, if you're not feeling comfortable, you aren't going to enjoy sex as much or touch as much or intimacy as much because you're going to be distracted and so whatever makes you feel more comfortable especially for those early times after you've had a baby or the first times you're having sex again when you're already going to not be feeling completely relaxed in yourself anything that makes you feel better you know more relaxed more comfortable is going to is going to be of benefit to you one thing that I read was sort of hormones that are released sort of after um, you've given birth of hormones that sort of don't make you feel necessarily very sexual very horny and that's possibly from an evolutionary point of view to discourage women from having sex again too soon after they've given birth to prevent them from getting pregnant again too soon <laughs> after giving birth and I guess that's something that does play a big role because your mood and your you know your hormones play a huge role in terms of whether or not you want to have sex at all mm, definitely and you know I think a really important thing to understand is also that sexual desire. So we talk about arousal, so the physical ability to be able to have sex. And we talk about desire, the want to have sex. Desire is typically responsive. So it's very rare that you kind of get into bed and suddenly feel spontaneously turned on. But what is more likely is that you feel responsive. So you might have had a really nice evening together and you get into bed and you're feeling really close and you start kissing and things kind of go in that direction or there you are responding to something or you watched a film that had a really nice scene in that you kind of thought oh that would be nice or so again it's about also how we understand this idea of you know feeling aroused that it is feeling desire that we want to feel close to our partners that is not just this flick of a switch and suddenly kind of we're on that actually there is a process involved in that and a large part of that is psychological, you know, the yeah. quote you were saying earlier yeah, that you loved no, so saw, much. I saw it on your uh, Instagram that uh, was something like that the most, you know, when it comes to sex, the most important six inches are between the ears, Yeah, which is, you know, I totally get that. It's about, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's psychological, possibly more so for women than men. I don't know. I think for both, you yeah. know, I mean, I guess in my practice, I work with lots of men and lots of women, you know, who are struggling with sex and sexual difficulties. But, you know, there's a big talk, especially at the moment in the media about mindful sex. And essentially, mindful sex is giving sex your full attention, you know, focusing fully on what you're doing, because the rest of our lives are so distracted with children and technology and work. And, and when we split our attention, we're not actually splitting it, we are kind of multitasking so kind of flitting between things 
And actually, when we focus on sex, we experience more fully. So we're going to have more pleasure. We're going to enjoy ourselves more. And we're actually more likely to enjoy it to the point of wanting to do it again. It's going to be more beneficial for everyone. But we are so distracted. And I think that there is a huge sense of that, especially when you've just had a baby. How do I find the time and the space to have sex? How do I kind of let go of everything else that's going on? Because I'm always one ear out for crying yeah. uh, which is normally the sound that we wake up to or noises and that's because again we are primed to do so we can't turn off that you know um kind of maternal instinct or yeah. paternal instinct. it overrides everything i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on linkedin you'll miss out on great candidates like sandra start hiring professionals like a professional Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked about the obstacles that um, are in the way of often having sex. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, it's probably right to say sort of being mindful that, you know, it's, it's worth starting to have sex again and and often you know I've spoken to lots of women who said you know I, I didn't really feel like it but I did it and afterwards it was really nice I'm really glad we'd done yeah. it and and making you know just being aware of that I'm not saying you need to be forced into anything by any means but sometimes you do something that you didn't think you were going to enjoy and you actually really did enjoy it a lot more than you thought and I think there's so much anticipation around this idea that suddenly you know you have the six week check and the next day you should be having sex that isn't the case at all you should take your time you should kind of just go at your own pace and do what you want to do. talk to your partner about it is really important they also might be having some you know feelings about having sex again you know they might be quite nervous about having sex again and a lot of partners actually really report fear of hurting their wife or hurting their girlfriend you know she's been through something really challenging as childbirth is for you know most people at least in some way and you know they might be feeling really nervous about causing pain or discomfort to their partner because they care for them and they don't want them to be experiencing anything about that and that can also impact them feeling relaxed about sex so it's really important to kind of communicate between the two of you about how you feel about starting sex again you might not feel ready neither of you might feel ready and you might say, actually, well, shall we just give it a few weeks? But, you know, we can start getting into bed or making sure that we kind of take some clothes off or lie together or talk in bed a bit more or try and spend a bit more time together. So it doesn't have to be a instant, you know, process either. There are lots of other ways of being intimate that include touch and playing together and touching each other and kissing. You could have a bath together. There are it it can be a gradual process as well. It's not kind of jumping straight back in at the deep end. 
Yeah. And I think that conversation is really important. You know, mm. we know that communication lines at the heart of every relationship, yeah. and certainly every, every good relationship. And, you know, I can see from from the woman's point of view, you know, she's sitting there going, oh, I'm not quite sure if I'm ready for this, but is a bit doesn't want to talk about it. He could interpret that as she doesn't find me attractive anymore. She doesn't. Yeah. And, and especially if that's combined with the idea that if the woman's saying, I don't really want to kiss and cuddle him because he might see that as the green light to have sex. And then I'm going to have to say, no, I don't want that. And I'm going to be put in an awkward situation. But if there's none of that kissing and cuddling taking place, he's he might think, oh, she doesn't want me just even to touch her. And if you have the conversation and you say, listen, I love you and I still find you hugely attractive and I can't wait to start having sex again, but I'm not quite ready. And you start having that conversation. A, it allows you to have the contact and the intimacy without worrying about that, you know, it's going to end up in having to have sex or having to say no to sex. But also it means that there's no misinterpretation of that not wanting to have sex right now, that it it, it doesn't get taken as that. Absolutely. And that is, you know, such an important point because... There is that idea of I don't want to start something and for it then to have to go somewhere. So it's better for me not to do anything. But what that results in is both partners actually feeling really undesired. And we know because of the kind of social narrative that there is that women also feel, you know, anxious or stressed or kind of self-conscious about their bodies. But also their partners are probably feeling undesired. And it fits in again to that narrative, which is you have a baby and therefore there's then no time for your relationship or no time for you as a couple or no time for your partner. So baby comes first, then, you know, if we're talking about a heterosexual relationship, then the man. And if that idea is already there, which it is just in the art of conversation, it's going to not feel great for them whereas actually they just want to feel close to their partners a lot of the time and that they aren't second best Mm. but the reality is you know you're navigating the complexities of having a young family and that something's got to give but so it's a worth being mindful of those stolen moments that you can have together and making sure that you're telling each other that that isn't the case yeah so hopefully you know after you've had a baby and you're still starting to think about having sex again it's a sort of slow touching it's intimacy it's hugging it's that kind of physical contact Mm. and and you know I suppose also being quite creative in terms of when you do it I mean a lot of parents find at the end of the day they're so exhausted that they just can't face sex but it doesn't have to be at the end of the day you know babies sleep hopefully they have at least one nap in the middle of the day and actually an afternoon might be a great opportunity to you know, get into bed together and have a yeah some intimate time together, whatever that involves. And you can also, you know, you talk to lots of parents and they say, you know, we never used to have quickies, but now they're a necessity and pretty much the only way we can fit sex into our schedules or, you know, the baby's having its morning nap, so we both jump in the shower and things like that. You know, there is creativity is absolutely brilliant for your sexual life and your intimate life anyway, whether you've had a baby or not, mixing things up. But it's also about not being afraid to try and do things differently if you've always done things the same way. And again, talking about it, but trying it and see if it doesn't work, laugh about it. Mm. It's not going to be the end of the world and, you know, see how it goes. When you do end up having sex again, let's just talk about the sort of practicalities. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you alluded to it earlier and you said a lot of women experience vaginal dryness. Mm. Um, So, I mean, you were saying that lubricant is really a necessity. 
Absolutely. And especially for kind of having sex for the first few times. So it might might also be referred to as vaginal atrophy. So basically, but we also know that breastfeeding kind of creates vaginal dryness. But again, if you're quite nervous about having sex again or not feeling kind of fully in the mood or feeling a bit tense, lubricant is essential. I'd really recommend um, the Yes Organics range. You don't want to be buying anything flavoured or anything with kind of tingle sensations because it's really important to kind of make sure that you're not going to have any negative reactions to anything or any adverse reactions to anything. Women that have had an episiotomy um, might have scar tissue, so it might mean that things feel a bit tighter than they used to. Lubricant will just make everything easier. It's also great for clitoral stimulation, which is going to mean that you're going to feel more turned on, you know, experience more pleasure, and that's a huge, huge part of it. So it's probably worth just buying some you can stick it in your bedside table and if you use it great if you don't use it not the end of the world yeah and the thing is it's when you're starting to have sex again you should be doing everything to help yourselves don't think that you should feel embarrassed about the fact that you have to for example use lubricant or um that you shouldn't have to or that it means that you're not turned on or not attracted to your partner or not aroused anymore you know this is biology it's not a choice yeah I guess it's, it's no not, different to having low iron levels exactly. no woman is berating herself for that exactly it's, it's just because it's thing. to do with sex and yeah. we feel awkward and stigmatized and embarrassed about it and if it makes your life easier if it makes trying sex easier and you feel more comfortable the only thing it's going to encourage you to do is to want to have sex again and your partner's not going to say no you shouldn't be doing that without lubrication or I don't want to do that either so again it's just about making yourself feel more comfortable and helping yourself. You know, we help ourselves in other, every other walk of life. It's just that when we come to sex, we, we don't really know how to or where to turn. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people worry that having squeezed a baby out of their vagina, um, sex isn't going to feel the same mm-hmm. again and that it might not be, um, it might not be as, as pleasurable um, as, it, as it once was. I did read something where a group of women was asked, uh, what changes, how does sex change after, after giving birth? And one where lady said, his penis shrinks. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it's not always the case, is it? You know, mm. very often women experience a tightness that makes yeah. it more uncomfortable. Especially if they've had an episiotomy and have got scar tissue or, you know, because of where the stitches can sometimes be, it can, things can feel a bit tighter. Also, we, you know, the, the pelvic floor muscles kind of sit around the vagina. So the vaginal canal is incredibly elastic, as we well know, it can fit a baby out of it. Um, but if you're tensing that group of muscles that kind of holds everything in is strong enough that you can be completely, it can completely close the vaginal entrance. So that's really important to understand that if you are feeling tense and you'll probably notice it in other parts of your body that it that's going to be quite sore that's going to be hurting because you're trying to it's a bit like trying to kind of put your finger in your eye because your eye automatically wants to close because it thinks it's going to hurt but you can train yourself for example to put contact lenses in because your your approach to it the way you're thinking about it is different one of the things that I think hopefully every woman is told is that to start doing pelvic floor exercises already in their pregnancy because the pelvic floor muscles are put under a huge amount of pressure when you're pregnant and they're essentially weightlifting, holding up an entire yeah. baby. So women are recommended to do them three times a day, I think, um, before before their baby's born. But then that should be upped to six times a day after the baby's born. They're really important exercises, aren't they? Really important. And 
not only just for sexual functioning, but also for kind of bladder control. Um, but also, you know, lots of women, if they aren't doing their pelvic floor exercises or don't feel like they have a lot of control over their pelvic floor, for example, might feel really nervous about having sex in case they leak. Mm-hmm. So it's important about gaining confidence as well. And I do um, quite a bit of work with LV, the pelvic floor trainer. And something like that can also really help you in terms of understanding your pelvic floor and making sure you're doing the exercises right but again as we mentioned before having a pelvic mot Mm. after having a baby um so a kind of post baby checkup can be a really important part of you also learning how to do those exercises correctly and feeling that they are strong because they are under a huge amount of pressure and that can cause problems for some people yeah yeah absolutely um And they're easy to do. I mean, they're super easy to do, but a lot of women do them and almost think they can't be that easy. But, you know, and so want some reassurance that they are actually doing them right. So actually that's why products like the LV that Mm. can test essentially the strength of your pelvic floor or just going to see someone um, to make sure that your pelvic floor is, you know, functioning right um, can be really, really helpful. And also like going to the gym, you know, you wouldn't go and pick up the heaviest set of weights first. You start with the lighter ones and you kind of build up strength and our pelvic floor is exactly the same. And as you said, you know, holding up the weight of a baby and you know keeping essentially all your kind of organs in place is big job mm-hmm. and I mean going forward um in terms of having kind of more regular sex that is enjoyable mm-hmm. um sort of tips wise I mean one of the things that I feel is quite important is sort of being in the right frame of mind. I think women very often focus all their attention on their babies when they're born. You know, it's all about how the baby is dressed, what the baby is eating, the the, the prettiness of the nursery. And the woman is literally slobbing around in tracky bums and not even having mm. a shower every day. And that's probably not conducive to a sort of, a, a, you know, I'm not even saying a great sex life, just, you know, happiness in general. I think a bit of self-love goes a long way, doesn't it? Definitely. And you know, I often work with people and say even simple things like getting a moisturizer that smells really nice and kind of, you know, moisturizing your body every day, doing something just for you is really important. But also I think it's interesting you just said like a great sex life and your sex life doesn't have to be great straight away. And I think that's really important to acknowledge is it might not be back to where it was straight away, but it is very likely that it will get there. But your expectations shouldn't be that, you know, sex will feel amazing the first time. You're probably both going to feel a bit nervous. It's probably going to feel different. You're going to be wondering about what that difference is going to feel like, how it's going to feel. There's quite a lot of anticipation. You also might be listening out to see when the baby's next going to wake up or wondering how much time you're going to have. Or Or your mind drifting. Oh, I forgot to put that on the Ocado shop. Yeah, or that you're exhausted. You know, all of the things that go with that. And I think giving yourselves a break and just being like it just has to be okay yeah we don't need it to be amazing so nothing in life is great the whole time life's not great the whole time it's cyclical sometimes you have amazing weeks and sometimes you have rubbish weeks and I guess it's kind of fair to assume that sex lives is a bit like that too it is but the thing is is we don't ever talk about that so we only talk about when sex is amazing or when we see kind of celebrity couples and we assume they have great sex you know every couple on instagram that looks so happy in their photos there was just the assumption that their sex life is as good as they look and it isn't the case of course things go up and down but we don't ever really talk about what the reality of sex is like and actually one of the times the conversation might come up is after you've had a baby and it's really one of the only times in our lives we kind of get an allowance 
for it not being okay. But again, the the conversations we don't have about it, they're not always that honest. Mm, mm, like a lot of things on social media. <laughs> what about if your baby's sleeping in the same room as you? I mean, obviously that's the recommendation that for the first six months your baby mm. sleeps in the same room as you. That's like another great big barrier to obstructive barrier yeah. to having sex. I mean, it, I mean, it's it's okay, isn't it? It's mostly about how comfortable you know the two people having sex are and most of them will struggle because it's a distraction or there's just something that doesn't feel that comfortable about it so for example lots of couples might kind of run next door and try and have sex on the sofa or if the baby's asleep you know try and have sex in a different room and just put the monitor kind of we talked about you know putting the monitor by the door so it's not right next to your head but you can still hear it if it goes off or so that you know the kind of flashing light of the monitor isn't there kind of warning you that everything you're about to have to stop what you're doing and again it's it's about getting into a good headspace but I think that most people feel they need to be relaxed enough to try and have sex yeah I mean I, I, I read one a study that said that you know 94% of women felt that sex resumed pretty good sex resumed pretty quickly after mm. the birth of their children and that half of those said that it actually got better after having children I mean do people do, do you see that yeah I, definitely and I think you know it changes your relationship doesn't it and there was um, a study done that said it cited something like 276 reasons that people have sex. Um, and one of those is to try and get pregnant. So when we're trying to get pregnant, sex becomes quite functional for a lot of people or we're more aware of when we're ovulating or trying to kind of have sex at the right time. And then it it's also about understanding that sex can have different roles in our lives. So sometimes we might have to have sex because we want to have an orgasm or we feel the need for pleasure and might just be because we feel really close to our partners or we are in bed together and suddenly it turns into sex and we didn't quite expect it to or that we just have a sense of kind of wanting to touch and explore or for fun you know mm. we talk about sex for fun mm. is so important mm. and so I think it's also about thinking you know that sex doesn't have to be the same way or for the same reason all the time yeah and and I mean the other thing is that I think a lot of people women feel quite intimidated about having sex after they've had their first baby mm. they don't quite know what the experience is going to be like they don't know how much it's going to hurt and all that anxiety sort of builds into something much much more women report that going back to sex after having subsequent babies tends to be a lot easier doesn't it and I think with anything we know what to expect a bit more if we've done it before the anticipation has a lot to answer for in terms of that because we're kind of building up and building up and building up and actually, you know, a bit kind of like when we start having sex for the first time earlier in our lives, it's not always everything it's cracked up to be, but there's a kind of understanding about that, which is like, okay, so how do we make this better for us? You know, what would we like more of? What would feel better for us? Or would I feel more comfortable if the lights were down a bit lower or if I was wearing a particular item of clothing or and you know saying to your partner what would you like more of or why don't we have a shower before so we feel kind of clean and comfortable you know there's all of the stuff that goes with sex and I think one of the important things that we were kind of talking about earlier in the conversation is the intentionality of it so I want to do something with you as my partner it doesn't really matter if it doesn't lead to intercourse there's other ways that we can be close and intimate but 
I want to do something with you. And I think that there's a huge, huge part of that. And that's actually the bit that couples miss the most rather than necessarily the act of sex. Yeah, yeah. Now, going back to kind of pain in sex, I mm. mean, you mentioned that for a lot of women, it is quite painful. That's why you um, advocate using some lubricant. When is when does the pain become a problem? At what point, you know, if someone's listening to this saying, oh, gosh, three months on, it's still quite painful. Is that a problem? What, what point should you seek um, advice? If it is ongoing and ongoing enough for you to kind of be worrying about it, you should be seeing someone. And again, you know, it could be, pain is such a kind of big umbrella term it could be a burning sensation or it could be tightness or it could be um soreness some women have scar tissue as we talked about earlier some women might have a kind of sensitivity there's also you know as we talked about there's lots of blood vessels kind of so if they're so some women get kind of varicose veins in their vulva kind of very thin varicose veins they can cause some discomfort the important thing is that you're getting checked by someone to find out what that pain is for if it is a sense of tightness, it's probably because you're actually tensing quite a lot as well. So those muscles are creating tightness, which is going to create tension, which is going to cause discomfort or friction, which is where lubricant can help. But it's about finding out what the pain is caused by is really, really important. It shouldn't be painful on an ongoing basis and you just go to your gp and they can then refer you to the appropriate person yeah yeah but don't i mean definitely kind of consistently painful sex is definitely something to go to the gp about absolutely and there's lots they can do i mean we're lucky to be living in 2018 where you know there's there are there are some some great solutions there are amazing solutions there are pelvic physiotherapists there are doctors there are gynecologists there are women's health specialists there are psychosexual therapists there's you know sexual medicine and it's really important because also lots of people might kind of kind of get on with it but not be enjoying sex and actually they then get to the point where they'd like to think about trying for another baby and sex becomes very functional again or actually that's when you have to deal with the difficulties that you're having with sex because you are trying to have sex more and you want to have things sorted out before then you want to be having sex for other reasons than trying to have a baby yeah yeah what if people are listening to this and they haven't had sex for years because even though people don't talk about it Mm. you know there are people for whom that that does apply where would you sort of start how would you I mean firstly how important is sex in a relationship is there such thing as a perfectly happy sexless relationship yeah there absolutely is and I don't know if you saw it but um this week on the Victoria Derbyshire show they were talking about sexless relationships and a sexless relationship technically I mean this is obviously hugely up for debate, is a couple that are having sex less than 10 times a year. Um, But really, the problem for couples happens when one part is the difference between how much partners want to have sex. If both partners are happy not having sex, then it shouldn't cause a problem at all. Or... And if they're then happy to be intimate with each other in different ways, whether that's through conversation or touching or whatever. Absolutely. And, you know, some people don't like sex, you know, like everything else in life. We don't have to like everything. And the problem comes up when people want to try and get pregnant, obviously, because obviously there are other medical interventions, but it's the primary way of getting pregnant. Um, But... The again, the biggest problem tends to be if one partner wants a lot of sex and the other partner wants no sex, it's it's the difference between the two. But sexless relationships exist, of course, and 
those couples work sometimes um and if that's not working you know mm. if if one part if there's, there's no sex but they both feel that they should be having sex for whatever reason where do you go to i mean that's presumably where they come to see someone like you yeah a psychosexual or relationship therapist again it's about in that instance we would be exploring you know what sex means to both parties is there other ways that they can feel intimate um what sex used to be like if what their ideas about sex were like and the expectations you know if you were having sex what would feel different or and we want to understand for that couple what sex means what role it plays in their life and how they can then you know change it and a lot of the time it is just this fear of because sex is so vulnerable and intimate and we don't talk about it even with the person most actually often never with the person we're having sex with it's the sense of if I suggest sex and they say no that will be worse than if I don't suggest it and they're not suggesting it so maybe they don't want to have sex either and so we have this kind of unspoken stalemate yeah and it can snowball too then absolutely you know if you don't say something stuff is often assumed Mm. like in any relationship like with your children to be honest if you don't talk about sex to your children when you know they're in a position which is probably about five to talk about it they'll 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 start thinking oh my gosh it's 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 i much can't more, talk about it yeah, yeah exactly or that it's scary or disgusting or, and it starts associating all these feelings that mm. aren't you know appropriate to be feeling and i think that is just typical of sex as a subject across the board you know um i know for example being a psychosexual therapist people are either terrified or intrigued about what that actually entails because it's talking about sex you know, every day it's the difficult conversations, but it's really, really important. Sex is a part of our lives and our sexualities are a part of us. And if our sex lives aren't the way we want them to, actually that can really affect the rest of us, you know, our self-esteem, how we feel about ourselves, our confidence, um, our relationships. And we understand that we need to, it's a part of keeping ourselves healthy in whatever way we choose to do that. So that doesn't mean having sex a particular amount but we could have sex once a year and have amazing sex and that would be enough for us as a person it's it's so individual well I think the fact that we're talking about it is a really good thing it's the fact that you know people like you exist but the fact that you know confident enough to be able to talk about this openly on a podcast and Mm. hopefully that will give people listening um you know certainly lots to think about but maybe the confidence to initiate a conversation with either their partner or their friends you know because we talk about as women we're quite good generally at talking about things but often it's not the things that we you know don't we need to talk about the most that we don't talk about absolutely and I think you know uh, a huge part of that is someone needs to start the conversation and often the fear is about starting it and once it's started it it tends to flow Uh, This has been brilliant, Kate. It's been so fascinating um, chatting. So thank you so much for joining us. Um, If you want to contact Kate, read about what she's been writing or learn about what she's up to, check out her website. It's katemoyle.co.uk. She's also on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Kate Moyle, M-O-Y-L-E, or follow the links. I'll put the links up actually in our episode notes. Thank you all for listening to another episode of The Parenthood. Um, People are starting to stop me in the street to tell me how much they enjoy The Parenthood podcast. So you guys are doing a brilliant job of getting the word out. So keep on rating, reviewing and talking about us. But in the meantime, thanks for listening and goodbye.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.